0: Before we get into today's episode, I just wanna take a minute to talk to you about making authentic friendships. You might remember the founder, Juliana Featherman, from episode 34 of Adventures in Autism. She is an autism sibling who created this amazing interactive web app that enables children ages 13 and up and adults with special needs to make friends based on age, interest, diagnosis, and geographic location. Parents and caregivers can also sign up to connect with other parents and caregivers. For more info or to sign up, head to MakingAuthenticFriendships.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Adventures in Autism episode 99. I cannot believe it's been... 99 episodes. Um, I'm Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. If it is your first episode, welcome. So happy to have you. And if you've been listening, thank you so much for coming on back. Yeah, I really can't believe we're like coming up on 100 episodes. This is just so crazy and exciting. I had mentioned, I think last week, but I'm, I'm a little bummed that the hundredth episode is happening during these, you know, crazy COVID times that we are experiencing. Cause I was really hoping to do some kind of live event and like get out there and, you know, get to like meet and interact with some of you guys. And unfortunately, that is just not going to happen right now. Someday it will. It's it's on pause for now until we can kind of get through these times. I feel like there is so much going on right now. I I know in our area we are heavily discussing what school is going to be looking like in the fall. And I feel like that's just like a super hot topic right now. So I will probably touch on that a little bit next week. So next week for the hundredth episode, uh, I'm planning like a little solo show, I really want to talk about just, like, some of the lessons that I've learned and things that I've learned doing 100 episodes of this show because, my word, I really have learned a lot. Um, And I also want to do, like, a little listener Q&A, which I I did one a few weeks back. I answered a couple listener questions, but I kind of thrown that up sort of last minute and didn't really give time for questions. So if you have any questions about you know, autism, about our family, about Logan, about me personally, about podcasting, about my show, about like life in general, anything, send it my way. I would love to answer your questions. It's always fun to do that. So that is what will be coming up next week. And let me know what's going on with you guys in, in your area. If you guys are planning for school and what that looks like yes so much happening also my sister is finally starting her chemo and radiation literally tomorrow we went for like some prep meetings today with her doctors i say finally i mean she just had a surgery like a month ago but it feels like that because she has been very very antsy (laughs) to get started on on this this journey and just kind of put it behind her so we have about five or six weeks with radiation and chemo every day and then Kinda of go from there. She has a month off and then we are gonna have to consult with the doctors and see. She will most likely be on the, the chemo medication ongoing for a while. So yes, I will continue to update. I'll probably do an update episode with her maybe like when we get into the chemo and radiation. Um, I just wanted to throw that in there though, because you guys are so sweet and everyone is constantly messaging me and asking about my sister and how she's doing. And honestly, she's doing good. I will say the waiting has been tough for her. Like I said, to kind of get going with this process, she's definitely been antsy to just get her treatment going, which it's funny because that really ties into today's episode. Um, today my guest is Desiree, who is an autism mama and we are talking about her beautiful little girl who they are on a more recent journey with autism, her a little more of a fresh diagnosis there. But one of the things that me and Desiree talk about is just that, that waiting period, like waiting for the diagnosis. And then once you get that, waiting for therapy to start. I was just talking with another listener today about that. The waiting is hard. So you guys totally get that. I understand that. And yeah, my sister has been just some back and forth with, you know, insurance and authorizations and all that stuff. So that has been tough for her, which yeah, if you are a listener to this podcast, you understand what it's like to to wait. Um yeah, so that's one of the things that me and Desiree talk about today. Uh and we talk like I said, she's she's a little bit more new in this diagnosis. So I, I always enjoy listening and talking to parents who are just kind of getting started in their journey because I hear so often from listeners who are just getting started in their journey. And oftentimes that is a really kind of like lonely and just overwhelming time. And I think talking about it and listening to others who are going through it is just so valuable and so healing, which is one of the things that Desiree has says a couple times in this episode is just like listening to this podcast and, and finding others that, you know, just, just listening to other people sharing their stories that are similar to yours. It really is so powerful. So I'm very excited for you to listen to my conversation with Desiree. So without further ado, here she is. Hi, Desiree. Welcome to Adventures in Autism.
1: Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. So you were a listener that had reached out to me after just listening to the show and being a fan, which I'm so appreciative of. of, And I really wanted to hear more of your story that you had kind of filled me in a little bit. Um, Just talking about, you know your journey with your your daughter and how you felt like the the doctors and people that you had reached out to had kind of let you down in that process. So if you want to take us back to the beginning, I would love to hear.
1: Okay. So my daughter is my first child and as like being a new mom, you don't really know what's typical and what's not typical. But I remember even I think she was only like a year and a half, I noticed compulsive tiptoe by, um walking. And I was just like, whoa, like, she's kind of always doing that. Is that something you need to be worried about? Or is that just a kid? Is she a girl? Like, you know, is it a girl thing? Like, but of course, you know, being a new mom, you email your doctor and you ask about it, right? And they say, like, oh, it can be normal. And you just keep an eye on it, this and that. And, like, don't worry about it. And you're just like, okay, well, this doctor told me that it's fine. No worries. And then you kind of notice other things. And then I noticed that she was kind of compulsively biting her nails. And I'm just like, whoa, that's kind of a, a unique trait for someone so young, like, Mm -hmm. you're one. What do you have to be anxious about? You know, like to compulsively do that. So of course I like reach out to the doctors and I'm like, hey, I'm kind of worried about this. I'm not sure. And then you kind of get the same thing over and over where like, oh, okay. And then at this point I think I'm just a crazy mom asking too many questions. And then the behavior issues started to happen. And I'm a new mom and I just, I'm not quite sure, you know, what's normal. Why is she acting like this? Am I doing something wrong? Like, is it me? Like, like, do I just not know what I'm doing? And so of course I reach out to the doctors and I'm just, you know, I'm like, you know, asking for help. Like um, I even asked for a parenting class. I'm like, can I go to, you know, like give me something that can help give me tips to get her under control because like I can't really even take her in to public without these huge fits. And I don't know how to bring her back from them. And So it's like this whole process. And then around the time she turns three, I finally, you know, I reach out and I'm just like, I, I. at this point I have a son and he's a little baby and she's, you know, when she's getting in trouble, she was going in like, kind of being a little bit like, mad at him when she was the one like, oh, hey, don't do that. And then she would go and like try to hit her brother. And I'm like, whoa, we can't be, you know, he's a baby. We got to be nice, you know. And then Uh then you kind of wonder like, oh, maybe she's just jealous. There's this new dynamic changing. And so I decided to reach out again, hoping for help. And they um, sent me to a behavioral specialist. And we went and we brought my daughter and he kind of like observed her. And he just told me that she was strong willed and that some kids are just like that, and that he didn't see any autistic traits in her, because she could talk, and she, you know, was social with us, and so he kind of just sent us along our way. Fast forward a year later, and I can see the difference between my son and her, and I could see, like, the way they process routines, and this and that, and I just, I knew, I knew something was off, so I reached out again, and we went to the same behavioral specialist, and He was um, giving us tips, stuff we could try, still thinking that she's just strong-willed. And then it was time to leave. And I had to tell my daughter, okay, we got to put away the toys. We're going to go home. And he got to see one of her fits. And he Mm -hmm. saw it. And he instantly was like, hold on. I'm going to send you a referral to get tested for autism. And I guess kind of from that point, my life changed.
0: Yeah. Now tell me, cause I'm interested to hear a couple of different things that you mentioned. Were you thinking when, when these behaviors started, were you just like, I don't know what's going on or were you thinking maybe this is autism? Like, was that on your radar at that point?
1: Um, So not with the tiptoes and like the biting, I kind of, I wasn't sure what that was, but around like two and a half, my mom had told me that she thought that there's something different about my daughter and that she had mentioned maybe she's autistic. And of course, being a new parent, I was instantly like defensive, like, oh, not my perfect little being that I wanted more than anything in this whole world. Right. Like, okay. no, like, and it was, so at that point it was brought in my mind, but I just, I didn't see it. And I don't know if it's cause I didn't want to or, or what it was.
0: Did you know anything about autism or did your mom, like, how did that even, like, cross her mind?
1: I'm not quite sure what experience she had with autism um, before my daughter, because obviously my mom's a huge help, and um, her saying that is kind of what helped me reach out to get help, um, but, like, I was looking up the signs of, like, autism at the time, and I was just like, oh, well, she, you know, talked me and this and that you know all of these different things I was like there's no way right but then it's like as she got older and then some of the symptoms started not symptoms I'm sorry that's the wrong word but some of the
0: signs
1: mm-hmm. became more clear and as they became more clear I at that point I had a feeling you know that it was autism
0: and I guess that was kind of mm-hmm. easier for me to accept when,
1: um, my you know
0: hmm It was hard for your husband to accept it? Yeah,
1: definitely. Like, um, I don't know if it's just, you know, men and, men and women are different in general, but he, even at the sign of me bringing it up, like, maybe she has autism. And he was just like, no, that she doesn't have that. And we just weren't on the same page, but you know, I'm an advocate for my child. And I, even, even if my husband was on the same page for me, I was going to keep fighting for her to figure out what was happening so that I could help her.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think it's really common for like one parent to, whether it is the, sometimes I hear it the other way around where it's, it's the dad who's more of the one who's kind of like, no, I think this is the issue. I think so often though, as mothers, a lot of that just kind of falls on us. (laughs) Um, What, how, how did your husband then eventually come around? Or is he still kind of struggling?
1: Um, he's still kind of struggling. Um, definitely a lot better than um, when we got the diagnosis. Um, his initial response was it was wrong. Let's get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. Like he's still really struggling. And I'm trying to be patient because we all deal with these things, you know, in our own way. But when your partner, your support system isn't handling it, it could be really lonely. You know, like I felt like I was kind of doing this alone because I was trying to just get the ball rolling. Let's get my daughter an AVA. Let's get her the help she needs. Let's do this. Let's do that. While this other person's still not even thinking it's real.
0: hmm I really appreciate you sharing that though. Cause I think a lot of people listening probably can really relate to that and have those same same issues with their partners. Yeah.
1: And it's like I really um want to be supportive for him too at the same time because it's like I know all these feelings I'm feeling um he must be feeling too right and I don't want to like brush him in getting to where he needs to be but at the same time like early intervention is so important that I I couldn't wait for you to catch up you know like there had already been so much time wasted that she could have got help sooner that I didn't have time to wait and let you process it my only thought was my daughter
0: yeah and we should say this is a pretty new diagnosis you and I were just talking before we started did you say it was just like six months ago she was diagnosed um
1: so she's been in ABA for six months but she got her diagnosis in June so I don't know how fast the process is in other states but um We got the appointment for the test back in March, but she couldn't get the test until June. And then they gave a diagnosis right on the spot. And then of course, at that point to get into programs, it takes, you know, a little bit of time to get everything set up because, you know, there's all rules and then there's insurances involved and everything. So I just didn't, I knew the process was long to get her the help she needed. So I just kind of had to get the ball rolling as soon as I found out, which kind of didn't give me time to feel what I needed to feel about this whole thing too.
0: Yeah no I think that's pretty typical every now and then I talk to someone who was able to like get their child in pretty quickly to be seen. Um, I know here in Illinois we had like an eight month wait list from the time that we got the appointment to when we actually had the appointment to get the doctor. Yeah it was crazy Um, and then after that we still waited about another six months for ABA to start too just to like get the whole team in place so that waiting is is so hard I was just talking to a parent the other day about that waiting process and it's like what do you do because you just feel like you're still like stuck in limbo at that time um yeah my heart goes out to anyone who's like in in the middle of that now but I do think like you said for your husband or for anyone who's kind of struggling we all process things differently we all like take time to get to that place I'm really big on just like like in general, if, if somebody has a different path than I do, or, you know, they see things differently than I do. I don't judge anyone for that because like, this is, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It is hard to process all do things differently. So I don't fault your husband at all for having a hard time with it. But I, I do think it's, it's really good that your daughter has you to kind of be the one to push forward as the catalyst and be like, okay, I know this is hard for you, but like, we can't be wasting time. Yeah. we got to keep moving. It just
1: felt too important too. And that's kind of like why I turned to listening to some podcasts about autism. I was a little skeptical at first because I was scared to be introduced to this world because it was so new. But once I started like, you know, sitting down and listening to other parents who have gone through it, in a way it kind of felt therapeutic and helped me like feel a little less alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is really lonely. I know like you were saying your mom was the one to first bring it up to you, but I know for me as, as a new parent with Logan, I had a lot of friends who had kids similar ages or like the exact same age as him. And as he got older and his differences became more apparent, then it be, it did become more lonely for me because I just felt like I couldn't relate to, even though my friends and I, we became parents at the same time and for a long time we were, you know, going through these phases all together. all of a sudden it felt like me and Logan were on like a very different wavelength than everybody else. And that did feel really lonely. Yeah.
1: And that's like, I feel like when the diagnosis happened, like it, I found it hard to connect with other people. Like, it just felt like you, you know, like you don't understand what I'm going through. And even like most of my friends don't have children, but the luckily my best friend does And she, like, wanted to be there for me and help support me, but I just don't think she knew how to, like, because we weren't in the same place in our parenting journey. And so that was really hard to find a way to connect with the people close to me when there wasn't really anyone around me that understood what I was going through, but my husband, and he wasn't available to talk to about it because he was going through his own way of processing it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. I mean, I feel like that's honestly one of the main reasons why I started the podcast was I just, I was like desperate to talk to other parents who were in a similar situation that I was because I just didn't have anybody else in my life who I felt, again, I had really close like friends and family who were super supportive and wanted to be there for us. But unless you talk to someone who's like in the trenches with you, you, they just, they just don't get it. It's just not the same thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that was like the hard part for me is that no matter how much my friends or family try to be there for me it just didn't feel like they understood and it just even though being it's weird to be around a ton of people that love and support you but to still feel so alone
0: yeah yeah for sure I mean and again like this is I mean it's still early in my journey. <laughs> I mean, my son's only, diagnosed son- yeah. <laughs> diagnosed like about three years ago. Um, but I do think like as time goes on and you, you process things, like you, you might, I hope that thing, you start to feel less lonely. I know I definitely have, but I still, I mean, I definitely still grapple with, with those feelings. Like when I talk to, I have a lot of friends in the neighborhood who are very supportive and loving and I adore them. Um, but they all have kids who are, you know, similar ages and I, oftentimes just like kind of exit the conversation because i'm just like i really can't even explain to you guys like <laughs> the that i'm dealing with and i don't want to be like debbie downer um so, so yeah I try to, yeah i mean i try to explain things sometimes but it's also like and this is something that I, I feel like I'm I st- still like struggle to explain, but I always try to tell people it's like I'm not looking for sympathy, I'm looking for support. So it's like when I'm telling you like I've had a hard day, or like this is going on, or Logan's struggling with this, this is hard for me. A lot of times you you just get you know that that kind of like look of pity, and they're like oh I'm so sorry, and you're just kind of like well, that's not really what I'm looking for. <laughs> but when you talk yeah, to an autism parent, they're like I get it, I've been there. This is and then you're it's just like a breath of fresh air to hear that kind of stuff
1: it really is and that's why I'm kind of glad that you know I was able to find your podcast and like here you have other parents on that are going through the same thing and sometimes when people tell their story of their child I was just like oh my god my my kid does that too I'm like I'm not the only one where that's a thing like (laughs) and it I don't know it really helps And like, I've really tried to find ways to connect with my friends in different ways. So that way, like, I don't like, cause yeah, I'm a mom, but I'm also a person. And even though I can't relate to you in that part of my life, I can still relate to you as a person. And, you know, I don't like, even though like, sometimes it's, it's easy to be a Debbie Downer and worry about yourself and what I'm going through and everything's so hard for me right now. I really try to be that friend that when you're complaining about something that might seem small and And like what's going on in my life, it seems like it's really important to you right now. And I want to listen and be there for you because that's kind of what I want when, you know, I'm going through a hard time. So it's finding a balance of still appreciating someone else's problem and knowing that that's really hard for them. And even though you might feel like you're going through something that's on, you know, a little
0: bit more challenging. I mean, that saying it's all relative I say that all the time (laughs) because it's like yeah like like a problem to one person I mean yeah you might look at that and be like okay this is small potatoes but for that person this really is a problem and Mm -hmm. friends that you really love and care about it's like you you still need to to be there for them through through the struggles but I do think sometimes like you said, you know, you're, you can connect with your friends in, in different ways. And then also like, I have friends who, you know, when we're talking about our kids and the ones I'm really close to that, I will open up to sometimes then they'll say to me, like, you know, I'm really glad that you shared that with me because like, I've been so stressed out about, you know, A, B, and C and they're like, and now I kind of realize like, that's, not that big of a deal and I see like you're really going through hard things so it's like not that that necessarily makes it better for you yeah I think sometimes just like you know giving someone a little more perspective on it they're like I I feel better now because I realized like maybe I was putting too much weight on this other issue or something um yeah so it's like you can you can still connect with your friends it's just like in a little bit of a different way
1: yeah definitely
0: yeah tell me though how is your daughter doing now because now she's like in ABA and you guys you know have like a team in place how have things been since that has started
1: um so I feel like I do see a lot of improvement um obviously you know it's a process so it's not gonna be like an overnight thing she's gonna be this like perfect does everything right child but um My main goal right now with ABA is to help prepare her for um, kindergarten um, because she's going to probably have to go to a public school and, you know, I'm terrified of that. And so, like, even though I know she's made so much progress, there's still things that like, I would hope that, you know, by the time kindergarten does start, she'll be better in certain areas, um, mostly with like the communication skills, because though my daughter talks, she doesn't really have, um, what you'd call like an active conversation. Mm. Like, and I never realized how sad it would be. Like when you can see your friends, kids talking back and forth, like taking three or four or five turns with each other and with the mom. And then you're like, man, if I could just have that, or if I could get her to the level where she can do that and make friends and make connections and, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the main thing I'm really like hoping to see some improvement in Mm -hmm.
0: for her yeah I'm glad that you brought that up I was just talking about this with someone the other day that sometimes I feel like for parents like me who have nonverbal children we put so much weight on getting our kids to talk but it doesn't necessarily just when your kid talks doesn't necessarily mean like all the the communication problems go away because there's still so much more to work on just within Mm -hmm. so yeah, I, I can totally understand what you mean. Cause like my, my two younger daughters are extremely verbal, like a little too verbal. sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are just both like total chatterboxes, never stop talking. And as much as I absolutely love it and love having conversations with them, it also definitely highlights the fact that like, I can't do that with Logan. And I, I would like to so badly. And I, I mean, as much as I would, would love to do that, I also am just, focused on getting him to communicate in other ways like with his, uh, his speech device and stuff like mm-hmm. that but yeah I feel like it's it's hard when when you you talk to someone and you're like oh but your kid's talking but it's like it doesn't really necessarily mean that there's not other issues it's just like well yes they're talking but we're still having challenges
1: yeah and then a lot of times like people will think that my daughter like um talks really well and everything but it's like did you know that like 50 to 60% of her vocabulary is scripting yeah. like it's something she heard in a movie and though it sounds like it's a sentence that makes sense and she's using it properly but those words aren't her mm-hmm. own like it's it's a very weird feeling cuz it's like I can think and I know exactly where she's copying mm-hmm. that from and but to an outsider who doesn't know her they would just think that she's having a she's talking right. to you but in reality, that's not really what's happening. Yeah,
0: you know the behind the scenes. Um, so you said she's getting prepared for kindergarten. Will that be like this coming year in the fall?
1: Yeah, so she's supposed to start this fall. And um, we went through the whole um, IEP process and stuff. And um, so we're hoping, like, because they decided to put her in an integrated classroom. And, I mean, she's my first child, so I don't know anything about school like getting your child into school as it is on top of having a kid that has a little extra needs so it's kind of just a learning curve right now and they're telling me that this is where she should be and it's like okay but I don't I don't know enough about it yet to know if that's going to be a right fit for her and that's kind of terrifying too
0: um is integrated does that mean like a blended or like inclusive classroom
1: Yeah, so it would mean that um, part of the class would be typical children and the other part of the um, class would be children similar to my daughter. And so because my daughter copies, um, like she imitates, um, they thought it would be well for or really good for her to be in a classroom with some typical peers because then she could see some of their behaviors and maybe learn more what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. and. I mean, at this point, it's kind of just trying to listen to what they have to say and hope that they know. Because it's kind of like when it's your first kid, let alone your first kid with autism, you want to do everything you can for them, but you just don't know enough yeah. yet.
0: Well, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but I remember going through all this with Logan when he was starting kindergarten. And I, you know, toured different classrooms, different schools, just kind of trying to find the best spot for him and we decided to have him in a self-contained class and he does get like inclusion time throughout the day but i will say i think that when it's appropriate i feel like inclusion is so great especially for for kids it sounds like like your daughter because like you said they they're with their typical peers and kids that are really good at like mimicking things they can you know pick up behaviors good and bad but hopefully if they're you know with their typical peers they'll pick up more of the good behaviors um so I know how scary it
1: yeah and I think that's yeah. their plan <laughs>
0: yeah, I know how scary it is for you as a parent because I remember also feeling like so so terrified of kindergarten starting um but now I can even just a couple years later look back and be like oh this has been such like a great change for us
1: yeah it's like it's scary but also exciting because it's like the small things in life like I'd give anything for her to have a friend mm-hmm. you know like just someone that she could Play with and so I'm hoping that maybe when she's in school she can develop a real mm-hmm. friendship and like because sometimes I feel like all of this like life is easier when you have friends and I just want that for her too you know like I would love her to be able to have someone she wants to play with and connect with and just haven't got yeah. that yet
0: well I know you were telling me that she does ABA at the center so that they can work on more like socializing how how is she doing when they're working on that at the center carabia center
1: so that that's her main thing that they really cannot get her to do is like they try to promote Mm -hmm. peer play and occasionally she'll do it but most of the time she does not want to engage like she's just so independent and wants to do what she wants to do that like she's really like, "I don't got time for you, I'm playing with this, and like I get that, like even with typical children, there's just some kids that like playing by themselves, and that's just you know how they work and and I get it, but you know, at the same time, she has autism, so this is something that she needs yeah. to practice and how do you explain that to a four year old you know like you even a typical four year old how do you you know it's not something that they'd understand like why do i have to play with them you know <laughs>
0: yeah and i think that's also one of the, those things too that you know we see them playing on their own and we're like but well, you need to play with the kids but they're like but i'm happy doing this <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of that give and take of like okay well i want i want you to be happy but i want to push you that that little bit so that you can maybe you know make some make some growth there i mean i think that it's it's always it's always hard when you see your kid like not joining and not like being a part of the group but I know for Logan I just have to remind myself I'm like because he does I mean, socializing is, is definitely a challenge for him too Um but when he wants to be social he will be so I and I'm just like a social butterfly and I always have been so I just have to remind myself I'm like he doesn't always have to be like the center of attention that's just not who he is but because when he wants to socialize he will
1: yeah and I guess it's kind of like realizing that that's the hard part because yeah. I'm, I'm similar like that too where I'm just naturally a very social person and seeing that she doesn't want to be. I'm, I'm like, I don't know. It's something inside of you. I don't know how to, to help you want to play with somebody. It's so like, funny though
0: because my husband is like really shy and just not very – like talkative in general. And so I always joke like opposites attract because he just like lets me do all the talking, (laughs) which is fine because I'll do all the talking. Um, But I, I always say that about Logan. Like I'm like, I wonder how much of this is autism and how much of this is just your personality because he might just take after my husband.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could be. And it's it's hard to see the difference between the two. And then even with like some behaviors, like is this just a typical behavior or is this a behavior because okay. you have autism? Like there's that struggle too, because it's like, I mean, at the same time you are four and there are normal four-year-old or not that, sorry, there's typical four-year-olds that have fits over stuff like that too that they don't want to stop playing. Like, so it's kind of really hard to know what would be a typical behavior and what's not, you know, especially my, with your first daughter, kid. She just
0: turned four. She has way more tantrums than Logan ever has. And she is, she, that's, that's not something that we struggle with with him. Thankfully that's just not one of his challenges. Um, So it really wasn't until her that I really saw a kid like throw a tantrum. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my word. I'm like, this is not something I was prepared for. But it's, like, that's, that's yeah. you know, that's, like, typical behavior because that's something that, like, all four-year-olds would do. So, like you said, sometimes you'd have to question them and be, like, okay, are you doing this, you know, because you have autism or because you're four years old?
1: Yeah, and that it's really foggy to be able to know the difference because I always have to, like, bring, like, perspective and I'm, like, okay, well, mm-hmm. she's four. Like, give her yeah. a break. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that's part of it, too. So, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, her grow and see what behaviors stay and what behaviors change. And it's just a lot of unknown yeah, right now. There's
0: always so much unknown, right? <laughs> but even like you said in the beginning, yeah. we like walking on her toes. Um, I remember when, when my daughter Liliana first started walking, she would do some toe walking and I always joke, she was walking in her invisible high heels. Um. Also, like it made yeah. me really nervous because you know she's my second. So then, with with Logan, he toe walked a little bit, but that wasn't necessarily something that he would do. But at that point, I just like knew too much, and any little thing, like my alarm bells were just going off, and I was I, I really had a lot of unnecessary worry because what I learned and what like her doctors had explained to me is that there there are some you know attributes of autism that like typical kids can do and it's like if they do that kind of isolated like if it's like just the toe walking or my little one when she first when she was like a baby she would kind of flap a little bit and same thing i was getting so nervous about that but it's like typical kids will sometimes have behaviors that you can see in autistic children but it's like they're more isolated um but again as as second time Mm -hmm. parents or third time it's like you just you know too much at that point and you're just like any little thing (laughs)
1: like <laughs> yeah I'm actually going through the same thing with my son I feel myself analyzing every little thing he does thinking like oh could that be an autistic trait like is that like you know and there's not really any reason for me to think that but because what happened with my daughter and like so many people missing some signs it's like I feel like I'm over analyzing him thinking that every little thing could be a sign and It's really exhausting because it's like, just let them be a kid. Like you're, you kind of have too much information and you're probably overthinking this. I
0: can totally relate to that because I did that with both my daughters. And I mean, in some ways it's good because it's like we had said, like early intervention is so important. So I feel like if you're able to spot those signs sooner then you know, if they need to get help, you can get them help sooner. But at the same time, yeah, you don't want to like worry yourself to death with all these like little things. Because you definitely, you you can do that as a mom for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's like, especially because like, when you're a mom in general, you just worry and you think like every little thing could be something. But when you're a parent of an autistic child, you worried about something being something and then it was. So it's like almost like you got this reassurance that your worry was right and so now it's like, you just can't stop worrying because that one time it w- it was something, yeah, you know, and like, how do you go back? <laughs>
0: I haven't thought of it like that, but that's a good point. Well, and we just know there is such a strong genetic link with autism. That's something, I mean, especially doing mm-hmm. the podcast has really surprised me how many people I talked to that have more than one child on the spectrum. And I think, I mean, the, the numbers are skewed and I think it depends also on Cause again, like boys and girls get, get diagnosed at different rates. Um, but I know, like, I've heard there's up to like a 50% chance that if you have a child on the spectrum that you'll have another child on the spectrum, which like that.
1: Yeah. I heard that's that a too. Big, a
0: big chance there. Um, yeah. And I, I, felt like with, with my middle daughter, I, I mean, I definitely had the concerns cause, like I said, she was walking on her toes, but she did a lot of things just really early so that I wasn't as concerned. Um, but, and I. I would have thought with my third that I wouldn't have been as as worried, but it was like all those same fears just totally came back again. Cause like you said, as a mom, you just can't help your worry about everything anyway. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I, I don't know. I think that it could just be so overwhelming, especially when you know, like all the facts out there about, you know, the chances of you having another one, if you already had one and, and it's just like, Oh, it's, it's, it's really it's, overwhelming to think about, you know, and it's, yeah, but I'm always amazed struggle. when I talk
0: to the parents that do have more than one child in on the spectrum because it's, like, I feel like when, when you've had, like, this curveball thrown at you, like, autism, then it's, like, you're just kind of better at picking up the other curveballs, dad, and it's, like, okay, well, what are we going to deal with? I just I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always like amazed when I talk to people who I mean everyone on the show I think has a as a unique story but the parents that have more than one child I'm just like you guys are absolutely rock stars <laughs> yeah, yeah they really are
1: but at least like you know you're you're a little bit more prepared the second time right even like when you have your second baby you know a little bit more than you did before and you have
0: that blueprint going sort of like okay oh. this is this is our game plan we're <laughs> gonna get everything moving um well it's been Oh fun to mm-hmm. chat with you today. And I know you have your own podcast. Do you want to share where people can find you and listen to your show?
1: Um, yeah. So I kind of started my podcast um a couple months after my daughter was diagnosed just because I felt like I was losing myself and I wanted something that was just for me as an outlet to connect with people. So um my podcast is just for fun, it's silly, it's called mm-hmm. Sip and Edition. And it's literally the title. We have a drink and then me and my friends, they come over and we record an episode talking about whatever's relevant in their life. Because I feel like so often we get lost in our own lives and what we're going on that like, it's kind of just nice to sit down and talk about someone else and whatever's important in their life. And so it's been really fun to do that because everyone is so different, but at the end of the day, you can sit at the table and connect with people that you might not realize you have so much yeah, in common. with. What
0: I always say too, like as an autism parent, obviously it's great to talk about autism with people who understand it, but sometimes it's also great to not talk about it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, it was, I don't know how like it for you, but for me it was like a very therapeutic thing to be able to start my own podcast. Cause everyone feels like they have something important to say. Right. But it's nice to, do it with other people and to like connect to someone that you might not have had a chance to before. And I really like that about podcasts in general. I just feel like they bring all different kinds of people together and whether it's about autism or something else, like it's just a way to connect. And I think that's kind of what people in general are looking to do.
0: Yeah. No, I almost, almost immediately after Logan was diagnosed, I started looking for a podcast like this one with like people just kind of having conversations talking about autism. And at the time I really couldn't find it. So that was why I decided to start my own, but I I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Just being able to not only get, you know, get your story out, but also just to hear other people's stories in such like an intimate way because it's different when you like read an interview like as a blog post or something, then when you actually like listen to someone telling their story in their own words from their voice, it's just a lot more like intimate and personal.
1: Yes. And that's why I, that's why I love it. And that's why I listen to so many. That's why I do my own. And it's just, it's a fun experience. I think it brings people together more than I ever thought it would. Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's been, I always talk about what a great, great experience it is to be podcasting okay so people can find you at sip and edition that's your podcast um and then are you on media? yes
1: um i'm on instagram um so it's just sip and edition with no g's and then um i'm on most podcast platforms and everything so they can just look me up i always post some pictures of my guests um of me and my co-host and it's just fun to be able to share with a big group of people listen
0: to well thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story it was a pleasure to chat with you it was great to talk to you too thanks for having me Download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash adventures and autism, all one word. Again, that's Audibletrial.com slash adventures and autism for your free audiobook. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Desiree and thank you so much to her for, for coming on the show and just sharing her story. Definitely check out her podcast. I'm excited to listen to that one. And like I said, coming up next week, uh, the hundredth episode, whoa, (laughs) very exciting. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions, Send them my way. You can email me at adventuresinautism 2018 at yahoo.com, or you can just find me on social media and send me a, a DM on Facebook. I'm at Adventures and Autism Podcast, or on Instagram, it's Adventures and Autism Pod. So yes, I would love to hear from you in any capacity, but especially, like I said, if you have any questions, send those my way for next week's episode. If you have been listening to the podcast and enjoying it, I would be so appreciative if you would take a moment to scroll down and leave a rating and review. Those reviews make me so happy. But even if you just tap, tap that five star, it just takes a second that really helps (laughs) that really does help people to to find the show so we can just you know keep spreading the love and growing this community because now we're at almost 100 episodes wow it's amazing I feel like I'm like super spazzy today sorry guys I just can't (laughs) I can't contain my excitement for 100 episodes Um, but that is all for now so thank you so much for listening and until next time take care